Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. The Iron Flute, Case 87. Zengetsu snaps his fingers. Zengetsu, a poet monk, wrote a verse with the following two lines. When Zen students meet, they may snap their fingers at each other. Fugai says, don't overlook it. But how few know what it means. Fugai, don't you know? It's the sword that cuts the tongue. Daizui, having heard the poem, met with Zengetsu and asked, What does it mean? Fugai, when the rabbit appears, the hawk flies off after him. Zengetsu did not answer. Fugai, did I not say before? He doesn't know. Nyogen Senzaki. Zengetsu wrote many good poems proving his attainment, but these lines seem to have been taken out of context. Daizui approached the poet behind the poem, and Zengetsu faltered. Like editors of a slanderous yellow press who seek only their own benefit, Genro and Fugai took up the anecdote as a koan at the expense of Zengetsu's reputation. Genro, if I were Zengetsu, I would snap my fingers at Daizui. Fugai, so far so good, but still, no one can understand it. Genro's verse. One snap of the fingers cannot be easily criticized. Fugai, cut off the finger. But don't snap them until you have passed 110 castles. Fugai, do you want to wait for Maitreya? I should ask the lame old woman who sells sandals. Fugai, she cannot understand the feeling in others' feet. Why do you not walk to the capital barefoot? Fugai, it is difficult to wash one's own back. Yogen Senzaki. It is recorded in the Avadamsaka Sutra that Sudana passed 110 castles searching for teachers, meeting many people to whom he paid homage until, at last, he reached the gate of Maitreya. 
He snapped his fingers. The gate opened, and he met Samantabhadra. There his journey ended. There is a Chinese proverb. The lame old woman always speaks of the comfort of the grass sandals she sells. Fugai was quick enough to say how difficult it is to wash one's own back. But what would he say to the device I bought at Woolworths for that purpose? It just keeps getting more and more beautiful in here and outside and in each one of you. And we cannot end. Sorry if you have a plane to catch, but I think it would be good to keep going, don't you? Two more days. First a nap. Several people used the same word to speak of how they feel at this Rogohatsu session. That word is blessed. Or from a koan. All are blessed. All are blessed. We have brought this blessing to each other. Some of you don't know each other's names and how intimate it feels on this day, in these last hours, as we move toward the great celebration of Shakyamuni Buddha's So I don't like to use a word because it's far more wonderful than anything we can say. And we can feel this within and see this outside and know that there is no gap not even a tenth of an inch's difference. The experiences that you have had 
and continue to deepen during these final hours. Change everything. Not just for you, because you are not separate. When you think how much our suffering world needs this, and we can't go out with a lasso, but we can just go out into our ordinary lives. And when you think, well, my ordinary life is going to be horrible, I know I'm going to have to go back to this, that, and the other thing. You know, families are angry, and I have an illness, and I don't want to ever see so-and-so again, and I have to work with him, and you know, whatever the riff is. You're changed. You may still have the same formulations going on in the mind, but you know you don't have to believe them old stuff. You cannot be the same after you return to wherever it is you are going, maybe right here. (laughs) So don't worry. Things will come up. You will be drawn deeply into preferential mind. But you are human beings. Therefore, this is possible. More than possible, this is. And... you will find that you have what you need, no matter what the circumstance. So whatever the horror story you're engaging in already with just a few hours left, you can let it go. Because no matter what that fantasy is, it can never be the truth. We die to all of that. That's the great death, Soren Roshi's. Accompanying calligraphy to, wonderful. They go together. Every rohatsu, they frame the Buddha. His realization, your gladly dying to all the things you've concocted, they don't exist. Die the great death.
This is what we are doing in Hohohatsu. And as you have noticed, little sparks flare up. I'm still here. I'm going to make you miserable. Pay attention to me. You're not allowed to have this beautiful bliss. But by this time, we can say, what? Hmm? Hmm? Fe? Fe is good. What else? Invite for tea. Invite for tea and then say, there's the door. You got in here, you know you can get out. And I'm going to make sure you do. Now this is where this effort is called for. You know, sometimes we can feel by uh, hearing some of these uh, very powerful uh, Statements, exert yourselves, that there's something we ought to be doing. (laughs) Quite the opposite. To exert yourself means don't get seduced by all that old bullshit. It's not who you are. Who you are is so beautiful. Just look around. And the reason I don't want Rohatsu to end is because I don't want you to go away. What a feeling we have sitting together this way. And even something, you know, comes up and we find ourselves doing something regrettable, like pushing someone down in zeal to get to Doksan. And by the way, there's a protocol for Doksan that I don't know if any of you have ever been taught. The protocol is if you knock somebody down, you stay with that person. You do not go to Doksan. Did anyone ever tell you that? And why, Sabuti? Because they thought you knew. It's like, hello, Buddhist common sense. You hurt somebody, you do something about it. As Laurie Anderson sang, when you see a man who has fallen, pick him up and carry him. If you see a woman who has fallen, put her all into your arms. For we are no one.
We are all one. If selfish actions arise, we all suffer. As soon as they do, do something about it. This is what it means to be a follower of the way. But today, I am incapable of snapping because maybe you have these things too, fissures arise, little cuts around your fingers. Um, but I want you, somebody, oh, yes, um, Kimpo, you're going to be the designated hitter. <laughs> okay, so Zengetsu snaps his fingers. Zengetsu, a poet monk, wrote a poem with the following two lines. When Zen students meet, they may snap their fingers at each other. So you do one. Good. But how few know what it means. So I have to tell you a little bit about Zengetsu. He uh, lived from 832 to 912. And he was really... When uh, I was looking information up about him, there was very little in terms of the Zen collections and histories of important masters. But he was a poet and a painter as well as a monk. And it was more as uh, his, more for his poetry and also his painting that he was known. He wrote a collection of Zen poetry that was considered very important, very beautiful, um, perhaps in the same sphere as Han Shan's poetry. And as a painter, he depicted the 16 Arhat protectors. And these drawings became the standard representation of these protectors, what he from in China thought maybe people from India uh, would look like. And so I'm grateful to uh, Tokoro Osho who could help me find that information. And then I also found in um, our dear Nyogen Senzaki's collection, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones, something that he wrote for his students. Living in the world, yet not forming attachments to the dust of the world, is the way of a true Zen student. So when we do leave here, those who have to leave, keep this adage in mind. It's not that we have to remain apart from the world, quite the contrary. As we heard, Hakuin's final great years were spent integrating his profound practice with compassion for all those, the dust of the world. No attachments, but picking him up 
putting her all into your arms. Then a few other things he said. When witnessing the good action of another, encourage yourself to follow her example. Hearing of the mistaken action of another, advise yourself not to emulate it. Well, that's pretty simple, right? So many people doing good actions. We can follow their examples. But more often than not, we hear of some misdeeds. We hear of some really harmful circumstances. We just don't emulate it. Even though alone in a dark room, be as if you were facing a noble guest. How many of you go into your dark room and fart all finely? (laughs) You wouldn't do that necessarily while sitting at the table in the dining room, we hope. But anyway, going along with that, express your feelings but become no more expressive than your true nature. This is really a good one. How expressive. By just sitting. This true nature is radiating outward. Nothing to say. We feel it. We feel so grateful. There are a couple of others. There are quite a few, so I won't read them all, but this is Zen Getsu. He says, a person may appear a fool and yet not be one. He may only be guarding his wisdom carefully. A noble heart never forces itself forward. Its words are as rare gems, seldom displayed and of great value. Live with cause and leave results to the great law of the universe. So anyway, if you want to read more, his collected advice to his students is in that book. And I did find one poem that was translated by Lucian Strike and Takashi Ikemoto. Here it is. Mind... Mind, mind, above the path, here on my mountain, gray hair down, I cherish bamboo sprouts, brush carefully by pine twigs, burning incense 
I open a book. Mist over flagstones. Rolling the blind, I contemplate moon in the pond. Of my old friends, how many know the way? And this line, this last line, relates to today's statement in his two-line verse. There's a wistfulness, a loneliness, a looking at human nature and feeling somewhat rueful. When Zen students meet, they may. But how few know what it means. So then, Daizui comes along. He, Daizui Hoshin, lived a little bit later, 878 to 963, and he first trained in the Soto school with well-known figures like Yaksan Igen and his successors, uh, Ungan Donjo, Dogo Enchi, and Tozan Yokai. And then he moved over to the Rinzai school and he became the Dharma heir of Isan Dai'an, who himself was a Dharma heir of Hyakujo Ekai. So in this strain of the lineage. And after his realization, he went to Mount Daizui. Of course, that's how the masters got their names for the most part, which is in Sichuan province. And for 10 years, he lived in the hollow of a tree trunk, never went down from the mountain. And monks found him and stayed to practice with him. And he had one heir named Yusai Shoshu. So back to uh, this Daizui's teachings, we find them in a famous case 29 of the Hekigan Roku. It will be gone with the other. A monk asked Daizui, when the Kalpa fire flares up and the great cosmos is destroyed, will it perish or will it not? Daizui said, it will perish. The monk persisted, then will it be gone with the other? Daizui said, it will be gone with the other. I don't think anyone here was at the Zen Center of Syracuse, Hoenji, in 1998, 
Yes, already there. Columbus Day. 98. The fire. Yeah. When did you move in? Ninety-six. Now that case was what I used for the transmission ceremony that was to have taken place a week after the fire in the newly remodeled carriage house. Instead, we had a big white tent on the lawn and a rock from the Kalpa fire and a piece of the singed building on the altar in the tent. When the Kalpa fire flares up and the great cosmos is destroyed, will it perish? Yes, it will perish. Burned! Burned! All those sacred circles. Burned! It will be gone with the others. And Daizui also appears in this case in uh, longer form in the Book of Equanimity, the Shoyoroku, where his disciple, Ryusai, is asked the same question. And his disciple says, not destroyed, won't perish. Why, the monk asks. Ryusai says, because it is the same as the whole universe. So this question, when the whole universe is destroyed, not destroyed. This is so difficult for us with our logical minds where everything has its place. The problem is, The place is not the same in our minds. It's this place or that place. We cannot grasp, literally we cannot grasp because it is far beyond grasping. And so our minds, of course, can't get past those dualistic perceptions, the arising of views and aspects as regards aspects. There are, what? Hmm? Not really such. Not really such. Just another term for it. But on this beautiful day, we can let go. We can freely let go of all this categorizing and defining and gripping all the separation that we perceive in the bifurcated mind. So today's koan is quite brief. 
Zengetsu's two-line verse and Daizui's challenge, and then Zengetsu's response, and then, as usual with the iron flute, quite a lot of commentary. When we meet another Zen student, say, passing in the hall, or maybe in Manhattan on 67th Street, what do you do? And Gosho? I doubt it. <laughs> what about in India, Togon? When two people meet, Namaste. Namaste. It's not just yoga class. It's a Hindu, it's a Hindu word meaning I bow to the God in you. So Gasho, same feeling. I bow to you as Buddha. But evidently in Tang Dynasty, monks often would snap their fingers when they met and greeting each other. And what was that snap? How do you feel? Everybody, do a snap if you can. How does that feel? What does it make you feel? Groovy. Groovy. <laughs> That's the next thing. That's the next thing I'm going to talk about. <laughs> but what do you think? Okay, these monks are meeting and they're snapping their fingers. What is that snap? Immediate. Hmm? Immediate. Immediate. Very good. Mm-hmm. What else do you feel? The immediacy, the grooviness of it. Face off on your palm? It's like a little kesaku on my palm. Oh, a little kesaku. Mm. On my palm. Okay. The kesaku is a very important word for that because there's an instant awake that happens, right? That click. I'm here, present. You too? What do you say? Yeah. And maybe uh, a feeling of joy or watch out silently. So Fugai says, don't overlook it. This simple gesture, if it's authentic, says it all. Don't have to use a single word. No, you might say, attention, right? Attention, attention. And then Fugai says, it's the sword that cuts the tongue. 
Now, what does that mean? The tongue is responsible for not only tasting our wonderful food, but what else? What's the tongue a metaphor for? Huh? Yeah, using words. So, long heat cuts, cuts through. Cuts through, know what it means too, right? There are no meanings to this snap. It feels a certain way. That's vital. That's right then, instantaneous, not a theory. Anyway, I will use my tongue. I came across this koan, and I was instantaneously brought back to the 50s, man. <laughs> you know, I grew up just in the shadow of the Beat era. It was the generation before mine, and the generation after mine was what? Hmm? Hippies? Yeah? Or, no, I wasn't. I was too old to be a hippie. <laughs> too young to be a beat? I was a beat. But I was young. <laughs> but I was drawn, very strongly drawn, to that, um, that feeling of spontaneity and the uh, uh, counter, countering the mainstream, uh, you know, that era was so exciting. Writers like William S. Burroughs and Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg, who would be hanging out at Columbia University, where I later hung out and saw their initials carved in the bar. And their friendships with black writers like Leroy Jones, who became Amiri Baraka, and Ted Jones. And uh, and the influence, especially, I think, what drew me was the influence of black culture on this beat era, the, the blues, the lingo based on the vocabulary of oppression. And the snap was like a secret handshake. You dig it? And came from jazz and blues and this, you know, this kind of, well, like Duke Ellington, right? Don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Watch my band-aid. And so, yeah, I would, I would go down into the village and go to jazz clubs and poetry readings. And then it got very popular. And then it was the beatniks. You had to have your black turtleneck and your little black beret. And the lingo persisted uh, from those early days. You know, I was in high school. I remember, dig it, man. Cool. Still say that, right? Hey, that's cool. Like, wow. It was a time, this whole era happened in the wake of World War II. 
It was a... We can't even imagine sitting here today what that was like. Soldiers came back. They were totally traumatized. The word for it then was shell shock. And they came back to this mainstream consumerist society, to the Cold War, to a certain kind of suburban complacency, and to people who had no comprehension of the horrors that had that they had experienced. Of course, we, we knew, but it's one thing to read about it, uh, it's another to have been in the trenches and to have experienced the Holocaust and to have experienced Hiroshima, Nagasaki, the bombing, the starvation, the feelings of utter instability and alienation. And in Europe, of course, existentialism was very powerful as a means of conveying that. So anyway, many of them came back and learned about Zen while they were in Japan, maybe occupying forces or in prison camps. They came back to the States. There were pioneers teaching. The first generation in the 50s. Yogan Sensaki had been here since 1905. Sokeon Sasaki was a beat before he became an established Zen teacher. Shunyu Suzuki came. Couldn't imagine what Americans were doing. Taizan Mayazumi came. And later, of course, Edo Roshi, Soen Roshi, Joshu Sasaki Roshi came to this land of great confusion. I remember the early days when we were at New York Zendo's uh, early place. 81st and West End Avenue. Most of us were artists, writers, musicians, and we all looked very disheveled. And you'd walk into the Zendo and there'd be very powerful fumes of alcohol. <laughs> and, you know, people were doing their thing. It was groovy. And of course, the, I spoke about some of the great people on the East Coast and the jazz musicians. I didn't mention the West Coast. So really, it was New York City, the Village, and San Francisco, where Philip Whalen and uh, Gary Snyder and Joanne Kiger and Diane DePrima and Waldman, all these amazing writers were hanging out at Ferlinghetti's bookstore. So it was a really uh, fascinating time. And I mention it because that snap 
brought me back to the way it was when people felt completely on the margins and black culture, which had always been marginalized because of racism in this country, was having a great influence. So you had, you had a, a group of very creative people who were finding out about Zen, who were practicing Zen. Alan Watts wrote, Beat Zen, Square Zen, to describe that moment where people moved from um, just, you know, getting high and, hey man, I'm doing the Dharma, to actually practicing. That was in 1959, it was a turning point as these teachers came over. So the snap for us was a way of, as I said, a kind of secret handshake, um, um, a way of showing you were outside the mainstream, you were digging something much more valuable than the materialism that surrounded you. This creativity, this, this going against the established norm. And it was a very alive time. But you know, somehow things like that, whether it's Tang Dynasty or 1960s, uh, America become co-opted, become uh, conventionalized, commercialized, commodi- commodities. And so they don't have that freshness. So then after the beat generation was the beatnik era. The beatnik era was the, the little black berets and the village would be swarming. You couldn't walk through the streets. And so it became just a formula. And so this is Zengetsu. How few know what it means. And you can take that two ways, right? How few who are engaging in this greeting know that immediacy, know that right here, right now, this is it. Feel that urgency, awaken. And then it becomes just, you know, no longer alive. So he writes that, and then Daizui hears the poem and goes to meet with him. After the second line, how few know what it means? Daizui asks Zengetsu, what does it mean? How about you? Are you one of those few? Is it alive for you? Where do these lines come from anyway? 
how few know what it means. And Fugai speaks about this challenge. When the rabbit appears, the hawk flies off after him. Oh, Zengetsu's tasty. Daizui's going to get him. Zengetsu did not answer. Now, this is interesting. What do you think? There are many kinds of silence referred to in koans. You can think of one. The layman, not layman pong, but who? We heard his name yesterday. Hmm? Yes, Vimalakirti. After Manjushri and all the other bodhisattvas expounded upon the gate of non-duality and then asked him, what did he say? Another kind of silence Usually we read, the monk was dumbfounded, or the emperor was dumbfounded, or the monk could not answer, right? I don't know. Uh. But then there's also, I don't know. Right? Bodhidharma answering Emperor Wu. Who are you? I don't know. So Zen Getsu did not answer. It says did not answer. It doesn't say could not answer. So we might want to analyze it, you know, in our you know, eagerness to get back into dualistic thinking. Does it mean he did get it or does it mean he didn't get it? Could he answer or did he not answer? Which was it? Did he know or did he know? Fugai said, did I not say before he doesn't know? He's referring back to what he said after Zengetsu said, but how few know what it means? And Fugai said, don't you know? It's the sword that cuts the tongue. This word knowing is like the word meaning. There's so many aspects, facets to it. He doesn't know how few know. Yogan Senzaki's comment suggests that perhaps he couldn't answer. Perhaps he missed it. He says, Zen Getsu wrote many good poems proving his attainment, but these lines seem to have been taken out of context. 
There may have been more to this poem. The context may have been something that Yogan Sensaki thought of in his own mind. But what if we just take it as it is? Then in his comment, he says, Daizui approached the poet behind the poem. What does it mean? What about when Master Rinzai was asked, why did Bodhidharma come from the West? What was his intention? What did he say? What did Rinzai say to that inquiring monk? If he had a, if he had had any intention or meaning, couldn't even have saved himself. So did Zengetsu falter, or was he answering? Was he responding? No meaning. How few know what it means. No meaning. Could be. And then in his comment, Yogan Senzaki scolds Genro and Fugai, calling them like editors of a slanderous yellow press who seek only their own benefit. You understand yellow press? Means some newspapers like, uh, think of one, the Post, right? The Daily News, huh? National Enquirer. National Enquirer, yeah. Well, almost all of them really have that now because why? Seeking only their own benefit. What will sell? all kinds of journals and, well, I won't get into it. You know. So saying, Genro and Fugai took up the anecdote as a koan at the expense of Zengetsu's reputation. Well, how wonderful. Get rid of that, right? No intention. No meaning, no reputation. So we have to thank the National Enquirer. Somebody was trying to keep, you know, a certain elevated, not anymore. I guess it's not so much newspapers nowadays, right? It's the internet. Who reads newspapers? No, you don't? No? Huh? You got you read the app? Hardly and that's why they're going under. They were so stupid to put things online. 
there were no problems picking up a newspaper. You would buy your subscription, right? And you would read it. It had, you could hold it. You could turn a page. You see how old I am? <laughs> and then uh, Genro says, if I were Zen Getsu, I would snap my fingers at Daisui. So there's no response. He's improving on it at Zengetsu's expense, of course. Why didn't you do something when he asked you, what does it mean? Don't you feel that way when someone asks you, what does it mean? You should have an answer ready. Oh, the question, why, why, dot, 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 dot. Especially why did Bodhidharma come from the West and you're holding on to a branch with your teeth because you can't reach with your arms and your legs? And this guy who comes under the tree is asking for your response and you'd better give it. Or what? It must be in words, right? It must be meaning, right? You must have an answer, right? Well, now we know. While you're stuck in that tree holding on with your mouth, you can... <laughs> New answer. And then there's this... Wonderful line of Fugai. So far, so good. But still, no one can understand it. How wonderful. This is Shakyamuni Buddha's great realization. No one can understand it. So, Genro's verse, one snap of the fingers cannot be easily criticized. Speaking of Zengetsu's statement, few know what it means. Somebody does know. So Fugai says, uh, the first line of Genro's verse I just read you, Fugai then says, cut off the finger. May I see you snap your fingers without your fingers? But, Genro then says, don't snap them until you have passed 110 castles. And Fugai says, do you want to wait for Maitreya, the future Buddha? Are you going to get it now with this snap, or are you going to, maybe someday in the future, it'll all come clear to me, and I'll know, and I'll be able to tell everybody what it means. And yeah. 
I should ask the lame old woman who sells sandals. Fugai, she cannot understand the feeling of others' feet. Why do you not walk to the capital barefoot? It is difficult to wash one's own back. So this is quite um, mysterious, uh, but Nyogen Sanzaki is helping us, he says. It is recorded in the Avatamsaka Sutra that Sudana passed 110 castles searching for teachers, meeting many people to whom he paid homage until, at last, he reached the gate of Maitreya. So this is where we all came to, right? Rohatsashin. Daibosatsu Zendo. 2019, how many castles have you passed on your search? You don't have to count them up because it's given. 110. <laughs> and here you are, the gate of Maitreya. One day, the future Buddha is right here. Please stand up future Buddha, or raise your hand. Hmm? Raise your hand. Don't be afraid. <laughs> if you are afraid, then you have to wait. Kalpas upon kalpas. Fires upon fires. So then Nyogen Senzaki uh, helps us out about this lame old woman selling sandals. He says, it's from a Chinese proverb. The lame old woman always speaks of the comfort of the grass sandals she sells. So you can just visualize her at the market. She cannot walk, but she's selling sandals. And so would you buy sandals from someone who can't walk and has never really had the feeling of what it is to walk in those sandals? Sure you would. You're good sense students. <laughs> and then Fugai was quick enough to say how difficult it is to wash one's own back when Genro asks the old woman, why do you not walk to the capital barefoot? That's the final line of his verse. Fugai says, it is difficult to wash one's own back. So she may not understand the feeling of others' feet. And that is very difficult to awaken yourself. Not to depend on anything. But maybe it's a good idea to avail yourselves of the device of Rohatsu Session Daibosatsu Zendo 2019. Used to be Woolworths, now it's probably Walmart. Oh, the point is, we have everything we need. 
trust this. You are this. No one else can give it to you. And we are all here to witness this great awakening one with all beings, the whole universe destroyed and revived. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.